cut off. I was just leaving. You didn't kick me out, I left. You stink. Well, I'm a piece of shit and shit stinks. Got a dollar? Blimpy's punch card, two away from a free sub. Panels to Pixels, Jessica Jones Review, Episodes 7 and 8. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Mark. <laughs> I'm Steve. So, uh, Steve, uh, what's going on with Episode 7? Well, Episode 7, a.k.a. Top Shelf Perverts. You know, I, just a side note between you, me, and anybody else. It's kind of cool, but at the same time, it gets kind of annoying that somebody within the episode has to actually say the title of the episode. Just a little pet peeve of mine. But anyway, the synopsis for Episode 7, a.k.a. Top Shelf Perverts. Uh, Jessica serves uh, the divorce papers to Jerry's ex. Uh, and this was great because Jessica has a plan to get Kilgrave. Trish has a plan to get Kilgrave. Uh, Simpson, he may have a plan or he just wants to sit in his car. I'm not really sure what's going on with him. Uh, no matter what, though, the plans are none of them work. Uh, we find out a little bit more about Jessica and Trish's past. Uh, and we find out why Kilgrave is so obsessed with Jessica, apparently. And then the great ending this, to this episode, Jessica goes home. Hmm. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. Uh, so. Our top five for AKA top shelf perverts. I don't know why I just like saying that. <laughs> and then there's the matter of your bill. All right, my number five is uh, Jessica wanting to go straight to the supermax. Like she, like that's not how the Justice Department works. That's not how. Uh, uh, it's just not how that works. You don't just go straight to the supermax prison. Like, like I'm sorry, this is America. You have to have a trial. You have to have lawyers. You have to have judges and a, a jury. Even when you confess, there still is like time. Like he's not going to take you straight from the interrogation room to the supermax. It, it just doesn't work that way, and it it just seemed very. <laughs> Very confusing to me and very funny that she really thought that that she could just walk in there and say i'm super powered send me to supermax yeah uh, <laughs> uh, even tossing somebody's head on the the desk i don't think it's going to get you uh get you there so that was my number five was jessica uh, wanting to go straight to the supermax yeah that was that was kind of like wow what what did they call that in avengers <laughs> there was like that that separate prison that they gave them. yeah <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you always saw that like X-Men had that they had like a special prison for Magneto and stuff, but it still wasn't like they didn't go straight there. You know, <laughs> like it just it just floored me when when she started that whole shtick of of uh, I'm going to convince them to take me straight to the toughest prison, toughest jail whatever uh that there is because they're going to believe me. I just I'm like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> what was your number 5? Uh my number 5 was Jessica acting drunk? Come on, she's always drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she gets kicked it. out, and then, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to say the same exact thing I did. The bum goes, 
oh, it's like, you have any money or anything you give me? She goes, oh, I have this. <laughs> the Blimpies, the Blimpies punch card. Yeah. Two more punches and you get a free sub. Uh, and I love the guy takes it. Like, he's like, puts you like, yeah, sub. you're just as worse as I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that was great. It, you know, is it is it just every bar in New York has a trash heap out in front of it that they can throw people into when they get too drunk? You know, you're cut off and I'm going to throw you into the garbage. Oh, considering I used to live in New York City. Yes. Uh, I live in New York State now, but regardless, there is some sort of trash out there. But usually it's out back in the alley when it's New York City. Right, so, right. Usually you'd be hitting the actual dumpster, and I don't think she would be hiding under it like Glenn did in The Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it really got me a chuckle on that one. I really thought that was pretty funny. But after that, you know, her encounter with the bum... You know, she does this and then moseys off and sees somebody else coming out of a bar and uh, she hands Jerry's ex the papers to sign. And there's like a little bit of a confrontation. Yeah, And I had a question about that. As somebody who doesn't live in a city with subways and has never really – like the only exposure I've had to subways was uh, briefly in Korea. Uh, I used the subway system there. Um do is there times when trains just don't stop? Because like like I thought they stopped at every station. Not all the time. You have an express train, so okay. so you'll get the regular schedule train, which is its regular stop. Then you'll have express trains that go past, and they go way past the uh, the stop that you're at, and you're, you're okay. watching it go by, and you know. It's okay. kind of hard at times because you're, you're trying to have a conversation with somebody and you're waiting and it's like, yeah. and it just like chugs by you and you're like, okay, uh, can we continue now or shall we do it in the car? So Okay, okay. So that, that makes sense to me then because I, I couldn't figure that out because, I mean, I, I would under, I understood I, – like I understand being scared you're on the tracks because you're at the beginning of where the, – and the train's not going to stop right where you're at. But I didn't think it would not stop at all. So that just kind of surprised me. It didn't. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. It, it okay. happens like that a lot. <clears throat> it okay. depends on the time of the day and night because there are uh, express times. There's regular schedule times. So you don't know. So yeah. you're not sure exactly when that train is going to come. So honestly, anybody that's working on the railways would know and they'll be like, oh, screw I, I got to get right. out of here. <laughs> you know, right. I don't want to okay. get hit. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, my number four is uh, uh, everyone had all these elaborate or inelaborate plans to get Kilgrave and none of them work. You know, uh, Jessica has this very, it's, it's very, it, it's not elaborate at all. She's just very simply says, Oh, I'm going to get myself thrown into Supermax, And then he's going to, he's going to come and he's going to walk through all the security using his powers. And, um, uh, get me and then everybody's going to know and it just seemed very like she didn't really think it through because especially like we see at the police station he just tells the guy to erase all the footage that he was there and and so he could have done that with the whole supermax thing um so just that plan and then trish has this elaborate thing where she goes to a security firm and convinces him that she has a stalker. And so then she, 
is able to trace that back to find out who's protecting Kilgrave, and she wants Simpson to follow the guys who are protecting Kilgrave to find out where he is, and then they're going to do something after that. Like, so she has this whole elaborate plan to find him, but mm-hmm. not what to do after that. Um, and then Simpson just sitting in his car lying to Trish about the fact that he hasn't found Kilgrave yet. So just all these different plans that, that people are making and, and some of them are destined to not work. And some of them don't really seem to have a, a, a finale, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it it was kind of a weird situation. (laughs) Uh, my number four is a little bit different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Malcolm, Helping Jessica, and then he and her finding Reuben in her bed dead. Uh, that that was a shocker to me. I'm sorry. It's kind of a wacky thing, but that, that was the beginning of the episode. And, you know, he picks her up, and it's kind of like a change of character, because here's Malcolm, the junkie and druggie that she's been <laughs> helping out all this time. And then he comes out and sees her and helps her. And brings her to bed, and then they find Reuben dead in her bed. Yeah, yeah, she's she's laying in the elevator, very much like the way Malcolm would lay in the elevator, mm-hmm. you know, at times. And so that's that's really really interesting. And then you know, of course, it was interesting because we have this whole scene where Reuben comes to the door, and Kilgrave's in the apartment, and he doesn't leave Ruben doesn't leave until Kilgrave opens the door and starts talking to him and you can see a subtle shift in Kilgrave's manner as soon as Ruben says that he loves Jessica and then of course we cut to uh, the opening credits and we don't know what happened you know until we see Malcolm walk through the kitchen and take a bite of the banana bread and as soon as I saw him with that banana bread on the kitchen table, I'm like, where's Ruben? And then, of course, she crawls into bed and we get that classic kind of noir scene where somebody wakes up with a dead body in their in their bed covered in blood. And uh, so I, that was it was really there was a callback to a lot of of other kind of suspenseful movies and 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 uh, TV shows where we see a similar situation happen. Of course, this turns out a little differently. Um, but what's cool about that is though it leads right into my number three because my number three was Malcolm, okay. um, and and the fact that that after that whole scene when he's talking to Jessica and Jessica tells him that she's going to go turn herself in for the murder, he then decides to contact Trish so that they can try to remove the body. Uh, without uh, Jessica's uh, knowledge, and that whole scene uh, again—it's—it's it's another classic. It's kind of a trope uh, kind of scene because you know exactly what's going to happen. What's the first thing when someone tells someone else, "Don't scream"? What's the first thing you know is going to happen? Scream! They're going to scream. <laughs> you know. So, uh, so, and then she pulls the gun on him, and she has, and he has to explain that it was Kilgrave that made the guy do it to himself. Uh, you know, and then and then we have a lot of things happen off screen with that because the next thing we know, the apartment is clean and Malcolm's dragging the body to 
the wharf to dump it in the river, which was another one of those scenes that I kind of have to maybe maybe got to suspend your disbelief a little bit because even if it is New York City and even if it is the middle of the night, I would still think somebody dragging a dead body. <laughs> you know, we, we've never seen him drive a car. I mean, he may have some sort of vehicle, but still, he's got to load that body into a vehicle. He's got to drive that body somewhere, and then he's going to tie it up in uh, the whole scene when Jessica finds him, and uh, he's got his phone in his hand, and she's going to dive into the water. This is nasty New York water, and she <laughs> yeah. holds the she like hold, has him hold the phone up like the light from the phone is going to be enough to no. shine down no. <laughs> through the water so she can find the body. That was a that whole that was a little again I had to kind of suspend my disbelief a little bit, but yeah. I'm okay with it because I had a, we're having fun with this with this show, and I, I can suspend my disbelief a little bit uh, for this particular scene. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that whole interaction between Trish and him. And then, uh, like I said, her, uh, coming to the Jessica coming to the wharf and kind of make, taking him in his hand and pushing that cell phone over the water. So that the light shines down. I was just like, what is that going to do? <laughs> so. Yeah. I have to admit, yeah, the Hudson river is not that clear. Right. And on top of that, <laughs> a cell phone flashlight will not work. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that leads us to your number three. Uh, my number three would be Rebecca DeMornay as Trish's mom. Now, that is awesome. That's cool. I always love uh, Rebecca DeMornay. Jessica talking to Trish's mom, and we find out that Trish's mom took her in after the accident and all that. And, and we find out that Trish and Jessica are pretty much sisters. They were brought up together at a certain point. Obviously, uh, Jessica was older. She was brought into this home, who knows what. And Jessica hates Trish's mom. And and apparently, it's a, she's a drunken stage mom at her best. She just uses and utilizes Trish and for all her fame, and that's why Trish had all her problems. And Jessica just hates her. Yeah, I, I couldn't really tell that the age what the age difference was. I mean, I'm kind of with you. It looked a little bit like she might like Jessica might be older, um, but at the same time, you know, Trish could be just more uh, mature because of the lifestyle that she was in as well. I, I'm not sure, but that is there is kind of a and I didn't notice it till the second watch that when Jessica leaves after talking to. Uh, Rebecca DeMorne, uh, Trisha's mom, uh, she says, thanks, mom. And you get that that same kind of awkward kind of, you know, I hate to say stepdaughter, adopted daughter kind of thing where they try to insist on, even though this isn't the biological mother and father, well, you're going to call him, you're going to call her your mother, you're going to call her your father. And there's just some that, you know, some families that works, you know, and in some families it doesn't. And obviously, uh, Trisha's family was one where it didn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. It's really strange. So yeah. that brings us to your number two. My number two is uh, the side story with uh, Jerry and her divorce. And, and I noticed something else on that second – my second watch that when when Jessica is in the, the subway, I, I believe – and I, I couldn't have my numbers wrong, but I think I'm correct – The that when, uh, Wendy, the, the ex, says – 75%. And then when they're in the lawyer's office, she says 70%. So I, 
So I don't know if there was some negotiation that went on uh, that tried to lower it a little bit to 70% or if the writers just didn't catch that kind of incongruency, inconsistency there with the amount of what, but still she's looking for this, you know, this exorbitant amount. And we have this, this whole interaction where she knows uh, some of the secrets that uh, some of the things Jerry did when early in her lawyer career and the uh, secretary, Pam covers for Jerry. You know, and, and when Wendy says, well, I bet you didn't know this and then tells her about the jury tampering and Pam says, well, yeah, I did know about it. And then after the ex leaves the room, she looks at Jerry and she says, this isn't going to work if she knows more secrets about you than I do or, or something to that effect. So there's an interesting whole thing going on there. And then juxtaposed or just not juxtaposed, just right in with that is the fact that in the last episode or two episodes ago, mm-hmm. we saw Jerry wanting the aborted baby. Of hopes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wonder if we're going to, if there's something going to come out about that later or in the second season or, or down the road. I, I don't, I hope they don't just drop that and just forget that whole story. And I hope we see something more about that. Yeah, there's a hidden story there. <clears throat> definitely. Right. Right. There's got to be something. Yeah. And so that brings us to your number two. Uh, yeah, that would be Malcolm confiding with Trish about Ruben's body. Mm-hmm. and his concerns for Jessica. Jessica really made an impact on Malcolm, and he he wants to help her. So uh, apparently Malcolm really cares for Jessica. He shows that whole, hey, I'm here to help you too. And then he's getting Trish involved, which is very odd. Yeah, that was interesting. Have, we, have they interacted before on the show, and I'm just forgetting... No, I, I from my recollection, not really. Okay, so so that's another one of those off-screen things that we really don't know how he even knew to call her, right? Because doesn't he call her and tell her that Jessica is in trouble and needs her help? I thought she just came over. Or did she just show up? Maybe she did just show up at the door. Oh, that's right. I guess she does because she shows at the door and says, why are you here? Exactly. And that's, when he, and that's when he says, well, Jessica gave me a key. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So, she probably just shows up there and then he realizes who she is. And uh, and that so that makes makes a little bit more sense to me. Also, <laughs> I so I guess Jess paid the – the locksmiths. I don't think I, I I brought this out. I had this in my notes for the last uh, the last recording, but uh, in the last recording we noticed that she locked her door mm-hmm. when she left, and I don't remember us seeing her get it fixed because remember she got it fixed early in the season, and the guy left her the note that said, "When you pay us the money, we'll give you the key," and she breaks into her office again. Yes, and we didn't see the door get fixed after that breaking of the. Of the door, I yeah. guess. So, uh, so I, that was that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, so that that was my number two. Just the the kind of side story that we haven't gotten the side story about the divorce and and then this this whole thing of why a lawyer wants this this baby, this aborted baby. So yeah, which brings us to your my number one, my number one. Yes, yeah, yeah number because yeah, we talked because your your number two was Malcolm and him helping Jessica. Got it. Yep. So my number one is uh, is really uh, the whole scene from from where Jessica dumps that that head on the cop's desk until she <laughs> and Kilgrave uh, walk out. That whole scene is just there's so much in that 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 it's got to be humor. You got to laugh at it. Just her her insisting to go to Supermax and then her ripping up the the uh, the table and and tearing the handcuffs uh, and her walking out. 
in, in or the the cop coming and, and saying, "Okay, she's going to be released," and the detective being like, "No, we're not going to release her," and walking out and seeing all those cops with their guns pointed at each other and and some of them with at their own heads, and and you're just like, "Oh my goodness, he's walked into this this police station and he's done this horrible thing uh, where these guys are are potentially going to kill." this whole precinct Mm -hmm. and the detective is the only one at this point who's unaffected. And then his cell phone rings. And, uh, I, I realized again on the second watch, I realized that, that, uh, the reason he didn't answer was because he wasn't under Kilgrave's control yet. And he, in, we learned some more about this in the next episode about kind of his powers. But if he asks a question that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, force a response. He has to actually make a, declarative statement mm-hmm. uh, about what they're to do. So if he asks a question, people don't have to answer. And, and so when he said, oh, whose cell phone is that? No one answered because he didn't ask that direct question. He didn't say, tell me whose cell phone that is or, or something to that effect. So it's not until he realizes that it's the detective who's not under his control yet that uh, that his phone is ringing. And, and so that, that whole thing, of, and then obviously he walks out and he tells them, in 30 seconds, you're going to realize this is the most hilarious joke ever and you're going to let Jessica Jones leave. And he takes the head with him. <laughs> <laughs> he makes that comment about manual decapitation or something something like that and yeah. being impressive. Um, so so that whole scene just, uh, just really... Uh, Made me made me chuckle, uh, obviously, and then you know he tells Jessica, "You never found my gift," and so she goes back to the apartment, finds the photo album, and realizes where he is—that he's at her childhood home, and uh, and so she shows up there at the doorstep. <laughs> yeah, it was. But also to add to that, uh, that was the first time we saw Jessica and Kilgrave interact within the same scene directly with dialogue yes i think you're i think that's correct yeah that that because well except for the flashback scene yes but yeah yeah you're right in in real time that's the first time we've actually seen uh the two of them because by the time she came in because they didn't really talk much in the apartment when simpson tried to kill himself that wasn't that wasn't a very long scene because he told simpson to you know she follows simpson to the apartment Yes, and and goes in there, and so yeah, they didn't really have much of a scene together there because she has to go save uh, the cop. So yeah, so, yeah, the, so I think yeah, it was the the only interaction at that time when he had she had to save Simpson was right. in he she, he goes he just gestures that Simpson's still walking towards the edge of the, the yeah yeah exactly, and then every other interaction we've had we've seen them have is over the phone. Exactly. So yeah. So yeah. When she's sending him the pictures and then talking and then uh, chatting and texting about Malcolm, it's all been on the phone. So yeah, yeah. That's good. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it was. I found it very interesting. So it was pretty much an introduction of Kilgrave into the show as a character involved within Jessica's life. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's the first time we see him step into something she's doing, as opposed to her stepping into something he's doing. Exactly. So yeah. Good, good. But uh, what was your number one? Uh, Jessica putting her family first, family or friends and people she cares about. Uh, She doesn't want them to suffer because of the issues with Kilgrave. And then Trish confronting Jessica about it brings that all out of her. And Jessica having to break down and explain this. But, you know, it's literally Jessica saying, 
no, I have to take care of you people. And it's kind of one of those regretful things. Mm -hmm. She's trying to make up for what she did in her past, but not let the people that she loves and cares for get affected by her past. Yeah, well, it's just like what we said in the last, what we saw in the last episode with her. She, every time Kilgrave does something now, she feels the guilt for it. And because she feels like she let him go kind of thing. So uh, interesting. So I had a a couple of quotes that, uh, that I thought were were pretty funny or or jumped out at me uh, was I already mentioned it earlier when Ruben's talking to Kilgrave and he says, because I love her, he says, why did you make the banana bread? And he says, because I love her. Uh, And then uh, when Jessica shows up at the courthouse and she says, the temp told me, uh, Jerry says, fire the temp. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, when uh, she's, again, that just that scene you were just talking about when she's talking to Trish, uh, Trish says, uh, she says something about, you know, Kilgrave is going to make, I might make me beat somebody to death with my vacuum cleaner. And Trish is like, we both know you don't own a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I don't know if this showed up, because I, I had the closed captioning turned on on uh mine so i don't know if they showed this uh it when when malcolm is about to uh, throw ruben's body into the river he says something in french and according to the closed captioning he said a beautiful a beautiful funeral doesn't guarantee heaven uh, i didn't get a chance to look that up to see if that comes from something specific but i thought that was that was kind of beautiful that fact that that he understands that just because i'm not giving you a, you're not getting a good funeral doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. And, you know, there's so many cultures that believe if you die in a terrible place or if your body's left in a terrible place that you're you're not going to be able to get to heaven or if something ha- certain thing happens to your body, you're not going to get to heaven. So I thought that was interesting that Malcolm has that knowledge uh, uh, about that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting that you use that with closed captions because <clears throat> it, it doesn't translate – or anything on when I watched it on. Like, okay, so you just hear him say the French, and you don't know what he said. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So, um, I I had a couple too, uh, <laughs> the from Ruben's sister. Uh, my brother has been drawing their initials in his etch a sketch. <laughs> and this is yeah, reg- we, regarding Ruben. Yeah, this is regarding Ruben about Jessica and his infatuation. Yeah, <laughs> while um, Malcolm yeah. was walking out of Jess's par- apartment. Now, mind you, she was confronting him about, "Hey, what are you doing in there?" And he was, she goes, "You're looking for, for booze or drugs." And he goes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, we didn't. We didn't really talk. We didn't say anything about that whole interaction with the sister, because even Jessica has an interaction with her. You know, towards the end of the episode, mm-hmm. at when when Jessica comes back and sees that the body is gone, she has this whole interaction with the sister where she she can't come right out and tell her that her brother's dead, but she wants to tell him that he's not coming back, and you can just see that the sister doesn't doesn't want to buy it. That's such a weird relationship. Um. But uh, between this <laughs> brothers, of course, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but so I don't know if she's going to come back up again later or not, you know, because I mean, eventually because his head is missing now. I guess his body's still in the river and his his head is I, missing. That's yeah. <laughs> and now Kilgrave's got the head. What do he do with it? I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, and you had another one. Uh, yeah. The uh, the bartender, when she goes to look for Luke, says you have to learn or swim, or fly. 
when she was looking for Luke at that point uh, because yeah. he, he apparently it's like oh you're looking uh, looking for Luke for something so basically yeah. him telling her you have to do this on your own yeah he says uh, he actually I remember the quote he says something about uh, you burn that bridge when oh whenever you burn a bridge that's what it was he says okay. whenever you, whenever you burn a bridge you have to learn how to swim or fly uh, and then, and that's what he's talking about with, with, with between her and Luke. And he says, yeah, you know, he says uh, it's really touching what he says. Uh, he says the o- he'll he'll never miss you. The only one he'll ever miss is in the ground, uh, referring to his wife. And I thought that was a very powerful. Uh, I didn't include it in my notes because it was it stuck with me so strongly. That whole that whole idea of the only one he's ever going to miss is in is in the ground. So. Very good. Uh, so, was there anything else that we didn't mention? Uh, I'm looking at our notes here to see. Uh, pretty uh, much not. We we went over everything, you know, about Jessica taking the fall for uh, Ruben's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then uh, Kilgrave facing Jessica in the police department and her, you know, surrendering herself, like you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was all about uh, and. We yeah. we didn't we didn't talk about what I mentioned at the beginning. So go ahead and, and you've got some notes uh, here about Kilgrave. I mentioned at the beginning that we learned why Kilgrave apparently is so obsessed with her. Yeah, I'm just thinking that he is extremely demented. You know, yeah. he's very demented, and and he's saying that he loves her in front of all these people in the ple- the precinct, and he is destroying her slowly over this time. He's like he is determined to have her. And it's so strange. Yeah, he says he says something like like you're the only person who who ever made me long for something, or it, basically words to that effect that he had never had he never had to miss anything before. Basically, was the gist that I got of it was that he actually missed Jessica, and you know she she makes that statement that you the word you use. She says, "Is this some kind of demented, uh, you know, cry of love for me?" And he's like, "Yes," and she's like, "That's." crazy um uh, i was trying to remember there what one of the, there's two movies and i can't remember the the name of the other one uh that this reminded me of and it's i think it's edward norton in a movie called 24 hours or something like that and he's it's all about him he has to turn himself in to prison to go to prison for a, a crime and he has 24 hours and so he goes through the whole movie Going and and making amends and 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 kind of tying up loose ends, and that's what uh, this whole a lot of this episode reminded me of with Jessica, you know, going to Trisha's mom and telling her, "I'll know even if I'm in prison." Uh, her trying to go have some closure with Luke, her you know talking to Jerry, her talking to the sister, her climbing up onto that bridge. Um, that was really just kind of almost a throwaway scene, but it really identifies what she was going through in that she goes and she climbs up to the top of that bridge and stands there and just looks over the city, you know, and says that she was never good at goodbyes, but this is, this is goodbye. Cause she really thinks this is the end. Um, and so that it reminded me of that, that kind of desperation of someone who, wants to have this closure with everything. And uh, we talked about this a little bit with Punisher because the Punisher was the same way, had 13, 14 episodes. So right around uh, episode seven is kind of like the mid-season finale. And you could almost say that this episode seven was that same kind of way because it ends 
on this kind of cliffhanger ending with her going to the house where Kilgrave is and Kilgrave saying hello and then us seeing Simpson outside sitting in his car lying to Trish about it. And then that ends uh, the episode to take us to the next one. So it really kind of was an almost that, that cliffhanger kind of ending, uh, but also a closure kind of ending that we got. <clears throat> yeah. So, which leads us right into uh, episode eight, which is AKA uh, WWJD uh, <laughs> that play off the whole, what would Jesus do now? It's what would Jessica do? Um, and uh, which, uh, so this is a, I've got a really short synopsis cause I think our top fives are going to take care of a lot of what happened in this episode. Uh, Jessica moves in with Kilgrave at her old house. Uh, things between Jen and her ex, uh, they get heated and then we learn a lot more about Jessica's past, and uh, Jessica makes a tough decision. Uh, so that's a pretty simple. There wasn't a lot of this episode was packed with a lot of stuff, but yeah. It, uh, it so let's uh, let's start out a number our top five. Your top five. <laughs> All right, our top five. You want to start us off, or shall I? Uh, go ahead. You can start. My number five would be Kilgrave using the old house uh, where she, well, it, where Jessica drew, uh, grew up to meet him, tormenting her with the past, what she dealt with, him being over-obsessive about her, finding her binoculars to peep on the neighbors. <laughs> that was an interesting one. Apparently, she was an investigative uh, detective at some point when she was a kid, peeping on her neighbors. And uh, she was looking at uh, other people since she was, like, a, a kid. So uh, maybe that was her whole desire in life at some point to do yeah. something like this. Yeah, I love that, the, the whole thing with, with him in the house, uh, because through through that house, we learn some things about him as well. Because you know, at the very beginning, she sees the wall. She sees the marks on the wall where it had her and her brother's heights. And uh, and he makes a and Kilgrave makes a comment about the fact that his parent like it's a it's a normal family trope or something like that that he says, uh, but my family would never deface the walls that way mm. or something like that. So we, we get a, we're, we're getting little glimpses into uh, kind of Kilgrave's past. Um, so yeah, that that house and him. Uh, there was I had a note down below, and I'm going to say it now because I. I in case I forget later, is he makes a comment about the fact that the the realtor had pictures of the house after uh, Jessica's family died. And I thought that was a little unusual. Even if it was like in the 80s, it seemed a little unusual or a little morbid yeah. that uh, some realtor would take that extensive of pictures, you know, that he'd be able to take a magnifying glass and figure out what CDs she had and that they wouldn't that there wouldn't be some sort of uh, police that the police wouldn't have some sort of crew or something, or even if she didn't have family that they would still have someone who would come and clean the house out, you know, before it just seemed weird to me that the realtor would have that specific of pictures, uh, that he was able to recreate that house like that. Um, so you want to put that in there. Um, my number five is Kilgrave and his insurance policies, 
to make sure that Jessica complies. Yeah. You know, at the very beginning, you know, she she he talks to the fact that all these people are there of their own free will, and the one guy says that you know he lost his job because he drank too much, and now he gets paid twice as much as he did anywhere else. And uh, then when Jessica throws the wine bottle against the wall, they rush in and they've got razors to their throats. Uh, and so she's seeing the fact that that everything he has these insurance policies in case she doesn't uh, go along with him. So even though he's not compelling her with his power, he's compelling her because of her um, her guilt toward what he can do to other people. Mm-hmm. And and even when when they leave to go to the hostage situation, he tells the man and the woman, "If we're not back within two hours, you know, call the skin off each other's faces." <laughs> and they look at each other, just knowing that they're going to have to do it if that happens. And uh, then at the end, when they're staring out the window and they can't blink, and he tells them, "You know, don't blink," and uh, which is a, a callback to a Doctor Who. Yep, uh, episode as well that he was that he was in that I thought was kind of cool. So yeah, so that that whole thing that Kil- we see Kilgar's power of of what he's doing to these people. Uh, yeah, and on top of that, uh, when she was talking to Kilgrave, he goes, "Oh, I won't use my powers on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I won't use my powers." He kind of made it vague, but it was meant to be. I won't use my powers on you. He could still use his powers on the people that are around him that work for him uh the cook the maid mm-hmm. and security detail everybody yeah and then she was thrown aback about that he goes i wouldn't use my powers on you which was yeah. pretty cool yeah and that whole thing when when she says you made me kill the woman and he goes oh no and he's and you can see how how he tries to justify himself by saying like, well, I never killed anybody, and she's like, well, but you got people to kill, and, and like even with with Luke Cage's wife, he says, I didn't tell you to kill her, I just told you to take care of her. Yeah, and and you you and basically he's implying that you interpreted that to mean to kill her, uh, which which seems kind of interesting because it means that his power is not it, it kind of his power is a little confusing then. Uh, and this is why I had to say apparently of some of these things because he makes the comment and I think I had this earlier later in my notes where he told some man to go screw himself and you don't want to see what that what that <laughs> means. So he says he has to choose his words very carefully. So that would imply that people do liter- take his words literally, mm-hmm. which would mean if if he said take care of her that she would not have punched her she would have like grabbed her and started carrying her around and feeding her and you know what i'm saying like exactly yeah uh so it's kind of confusing that that to me his power is a little bit uh i'm i'm kind of taken aback if maybe that's maybe that's just an inconsistency that the writers didn't think about or Mm. if we're we're meant to understand that that his the people he talks to with some of his statements can understand the implication and some that I don't know. It's a, it just, it just now is starting to look unclear. It's, it's a little muddy to me. Yeah. It's a little muddy to me, whether he's being truthful about how his powers work. Yeah. They, Uh, they seem to be more like powers of suggestion. Yeah. And then the person interprets that if it's kind of vague, they use their own thought Mm -hmm. or it's the, on the tip of their brain. And yeah. they just use that, and they figure, okay, take care of him. 
all right, take care of him means like in a mob hit. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and and so so it just it just makes me wonder how truthful he's being later on when he talks about how he has to be so careful with his words. So now I'm starting to think about it. Whereas I didn't before, I just kind of took it at face value. Uh, so that's interesting. Now I've got to rethink some of mine. Maybe. Uh, what does that bring us to? Your number four. <laughs> Yes, it does. I think does. that brings us to your number four. <laughs> My number four. Uh, that would be uh, seeing more of Kilgrave. Definitely. Uh, we actually get to see a lot more of him and his interaction. Uh, gotta love seeing David Tennant <laughs> on screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, seeing who he is and what happened to him on that thumb drive. That Yeah. That, that, that was a whole... Because uh, we never had any history of him what he can do, what his upbringing was, or did he have his powers before uh, or while he was growing up. Apparently, this happened when he was a child and he was brought up w- with his parents and they're them taking that power out of him in some way. Yeah, it's it's really because, you know, they call him Kevin and I kind of in, in my in the way I kind of separated this in my in my head was kind of the idea that that Kilgrave as a man he's a monster he is a monster he's despicable he's uh in many ways irredeemable um but kevin as a child was abused and and literally i mean his parents held him down so they could they could sap his his brain fluid out of him or spinal or some sort of fluid out of his head to test it. And they did surgery on him and they had these electrodes hooked up to him. And it wasn't until he discovered just how powerful he was when he says, stop it, you know, and they stop Hmm. and he suddenly realizes what control he does have. And so, uh, so, so I sympathize for Kevin, but, Kilgrave, the man, is uh, you know uh, he, that guy's a monster. Yeah, they. Uh, the, yeah, he's mommy and daddy's little monster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They made him, and and even Jessica says something to that effect. Is she says something like, "Well, you're this way just because no one ever taught you how to be good." Yeah, uh, and I thought that was so. That was just so touching, uh, and I think we're going to talk about that later on as well. Um, which brings us to my number four, uh, which gets us back to our levity. Uh, Jessica's liquid dinner. Uh, she said, girl, after my own heart. I'm not a wine drinker, but uh, but I, I could I could. She downed that whole bottle of wine. Well, except oh for the glass that he had. And then she's like, "Get me another another bottle." That, <laughs> you know? that would kill me. <laughs> I, I'm like, I I don't drink wine, but my goodness, that can't be that can't be good for you. You know, especially with a woman's metabolism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and she takes it. I thought the, the the best part of all was she drinks the first, you know, out of the wine glass, and then she puts it down. And she grabs the water glass and pours the bottle into the water glass, you know, <laughs> and just starts drinking it out of that. And I'm just like, okay, I don't know about tannins and breathe in the the wine breathing and all that kind of stuff, but that doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> so. <laughs> anyway, you're number three, Mark. <laughs> uh, my number three, uh, to see how Trish and her, uh, well, Simpson, are trying to help Jessica. But Jessica resists and stays with Kilgrave, uh, even after that phone call with Trish. 
And Trish knows because of previous history with Kilgrave, with Jessica, that, oh, if you're saying things are all right, you're with him or something's going on with him. You know, and then Jessica's trying to protect her family, her loved ones, by trying to keep it a secret. So it's it's really interesting because, you know, she's on that constant, I want to protect you people. I don't want to keep you away from this if it has to be me to the the one that's going to be punished, meaning Jessica, that she's going to do that for herself just to keep him away from them. Yeah, and it's it's interesting with that whole relationship because they're really, I, I really liked Simpson. I, I really did. I liked the character, and it it almost seems like this is a they make kind of a leap and change his character. Maybe not change isn't the right word, but it just seems a little a little off to me that he goes from. Okay, he wants to kill. He wants to kill Kilgrave, mm-hmm. um, and then. But I guess that whole scene between him and Trish, when when he shows up with his buddies and and she's all, "Where have you been?" and he's like, "Well, I've been, you know, with with my army buddies." And she's and she can tell that he's lying to her, but she just kind of says, "Well, fine, go back with your buddies." And it's almost like a breakup kind of thing. Yeah, and. And then, and it almost seemed it, it seemed at first to me that when when he realizes that Jessica outs the bomb to Kilgrave at the at the beginning of the episode. So at the beginning of the episode, she she sees Simpson in the house. He tells her there's a bomb, and uh, she's like, "Well, there's innocent people in this house too." And he goes, "Well, I was going to time it so that they were taking out the garbage." And I'm like, "What? Don't <laughs> lie to her. You were going to blow them all up." And then when she reveals to Kilgrave that the bomb that there's a bomb and that the the other guy is able to you know disarm the bomb it it almost seemed like Simpson kind of gave up at that point you know cuz then he goes to Trish and he tries to convince her and he says well let's just go away he's like Jessica can take care of herself i don't want to do this anymore let's just go away together and it's when Trish rejects him and says no we have to help Jessica that that it seems like there's like maybe a, a switch that flips in his head uh, because then the next time we see him is the end of the episode when he's in full commando gear and he and he kills uh, the bodyguard and then uh, wants to kill Kilgrave but Jessica won't let him and then mm-hmm. and we have the the well, cliffhanger yeah <laughs> yeah the cliffhanger ending with the annoying uh, neighbor, neighbor. <laughs> uh, which which kind of leads into my number three. Which my number three is Jessica's family is those those flashbacks that we see uh, of Jessica's family and uh, that neighbor that they have that that whole conversation about uh, at, at the breakfast table where Kilgrave asks her to tell the truth about Jessica's family and she starts saying these very horrible things that even if they're true, just the way she says it, she's saying them is is kind of just horrible. And Jessica keeps defending her parents and her brother and because they're dead. You don't speak ill of the dead. That's just a rule. Come on, people. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, but then we also get to see the flashback of the accident. We get to see what caused her parents and her brother's death. And I started to wonder if, you know, how did Jessica made the mention that she got her Power, when she told Luke, she said she got her powers because of an accident. Mm-hmm. But yet, so I wonder if if she had the powers before the car accident. I don't think she. I don't think she got her powers in the car accident, 
with her parents unless there was something in that truck but that they hit. But when she throws that Game Boy, I mean, I know those things were fragile. It really seems like it smashes to pieces. So it almost seems like she already kind of had the super strength maybe when that car accident occurred. And maybe it was because of the super strength that she survived the car accident and her parents and brother didn't. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, and and then, and so now she can. She now doubly blames herself because not only does she blame herself because her dad turned around in the front seat to get mad at her to either discipline her or yell at her or whatever. And but now she's not on top of the guilt of causing her the wreck, the the father to look away. She now has the survivor's guilt of I lived through it and they didn't as well. And this is all in a child. You know, um, who is is about to be brought into a family where I can imagine she's not going to get the emotional and psychological support she's going to need, um, you know, <laughs> uh, to get over that. So that that made me wonder if she had that that super strength before the car accident, um, or if that was something that happened after she went to live with Trish. I tend to think it was bef- it was before. I mean, what do you think? You may know already. I don't know. I do know, but my suggestion would be watch till the end of the season and watch season two. <laughs> and uh, a lot of truths come out in season two, and mm. it's really awesome. So okay. keep tuned Good. and keep watching because you want to see this story complete out and finish mm-hmm. and then go into that. The second season, I will tell you this, and it's not a spoiler, but you don't know where you're at or where everything is going. But give it okay. three episodes. Okay. Well, good. Good. We'll get there. Uh, I think that brings us to your number two. My number two would be Jessica and Kilgrave saving those people in their domestic violence episode. And they happen upon it. And then Jessica's showing Kilgrave how to use his powers for good. Uh, try to be the hero that she does at times. You know, even though she's drunkenly doing it. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well... And I had this as my number two as well because it really it it really is it's a big deal because not only because he start well let me back up so we we get to see kind of how they could work together for good you know he gets them through the police line yes. uh, and then they get to the house and they're confronted with that door that's locked and he goes oh well I guess that's it and he's starting to leave when she breaks open the door so then then they're able to enter the home and then of course he's his powers come back on display when they confront the the family yeah. and we get to see him with this elation this because he's got this adrenaline rush of he's just done this heroic thing you know mm-hmm. and and now he he comes back uh, and he wants cake, and and he's so yeah, happy. Strawberries, and yeah. And he's like, "We can be the dynamic duo." And uh, and and she realizes um, that she's like, "Maybe he's right. Maybe this this could work. Maybe I could do this." Um, you know, but she doesn't want to admit it, and so that's when she's got to go to Trish, and she wants to talk to Trish about it, and. Um, you know, then she lays out the scenario to Trish. Well, what if you could use his powers for good? 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and Trish says, well, how, what guarantee would I have that he wouldn't use them on me? And she's like, well, you don't have that guarantee. And, and Trish is like, well, what guarantee would I have that he, you know, would always follow my instructions or whatever? And she's like, well, you don't really have any guarantees of that. And so she suddenly realizes that even though that her plan is flawed, that her plan to maybe I could make this work, maybe I could be, you know, the guidance system for his you know, be his moral compass mm-hmm. and keep him keep him on track. And I think she realizes that no, uh, she's not going to be able to do that. That that's that's you know, Trish makes her see that even though every act of kindness that you might do, you don't know he's just one second away from you know doing something evil. Kind of similar to like an addict. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're constantly going to use it to their own self gain to feel good about themselves, whether it be for bad or for good. And they don't know the effects about how they're going to use that. So maybe Jessica sees him almost like what Malcolm and Malcolm being an addict. But even though the Kilgrave created Malcolm into an addict, whether or not Malcolm would actually have ever become an addict if he never met Kilgrave in the begin with. But, you know, but Kilgrave is using his powers to boost his own ego, make him feel better about himself, do the things that he loves and feel better about himself, whether it be for good or for evil. In most cases, in his respect, it's for evil. Mm -hmm. And Jessica being turned around to that idea with Trish talking to her about that, saying, how could you change him? And sometimes you just can't change a person. That's part of their personality. He was dealing with this since he was a child, and he was put into this lab, and then he realized, I have control, and with that control, it's almost a rush. I could do whatever the hell I want. Mm-hmm. I could do whatever I want, and people will do what I say and how I tell them to do it. Yeah. And then I could, you know, I don't have to do good. But right. when he did do good for, you know, for Jessica at that time... With the police and stopping that domestic violence and the guy shooting and all that. Now it's like Jessica thought, oh, I could change him. No, there is yeah. no way of changing that. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he's at a point where he's he's his first his default is to do something evil, just like with the guy in his home. You know, he, he tells him to put the shotgun in his mouth and and. Jessica's like, no, no, you can't do that. He can't. Don't have him kill himself. And uh, but yet, and so then he stops and he lets the guy go, or tells him to go turn himself into the police. And but you still, like I said, I, I think you're right. I think it's totally that conversation she had with Trish, she had with Trish when Trish says, "Hey, this isn't going to work. You know, it's not going to work down the road. Long, long range. You you don't have any any guarantees." So. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Uh, does that? Oh, we both have the same number two. So, so number one. My number one uh, is, and I kind of talked myself out of it now, really, um, with the whole uh, take care of her line. Uh, I, I was having some sympathy for him, for Kilgrave, because you know he makes this whole statement about how I have to be very careful about my my words, and, and I thought that he could kind of turn it on and off kind of thing and the implication he gives us here is that he can't do that 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 no matter what if he says the wrong thing 
it's it it could mean death for someone and i i could see like i said I, I started to talk myself out of it because but my thinking earlier was i can see how that really would turn a person to uh, maybe not straight up evil but it would definitely make them selfish and and egocentric the fact that all they have to do is say hey give me all your money and somebody will just you know give them all your give them all your money yeah. um or just like the thing with the house um, when he bought the house, he told he said to the guy, "I could make you sell me this house, but I'm not going to. I'm going to show you all this money that I made someone else give me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and buy your house." Uh, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That that, uh, and I think we talked about this a little bit the last episode when we talked about him buying the house. The reason that him that he did that maybe would be because he didn't want anyone to know he didn't want it to, to come back to him because if you know some guy goes out there and suddenly goes i just gave this guy my house i didn't even exactly like, he didn't give me any money for it or anything i just gave it to him people would start to then go wait a minute now maybe there is something with this guy and the only problem i have with with some of this some of the the uh hesitation people have with his power is the fact that they've been exposed to superheroes they've seen super powers they've seen aliens destroy manhattan mm-hmm. uh, you know luke luke cage talked about that they, they talked about the whole uh, avengers uh, i believe they're talking about the age of ultron uh movie mm-hmm. thing when when aliens attacked the the city or the the first avengers when alien you know all these things and so they know that these things exist so why would it be so hard to convince people that there's someone out there who can compel you know, people with his words, it would, that would seem like a, a, maybe not a natural thing, but it would definitely not, I, I don't think it would be, there would be that many people who would be completely like, no, that's not, you can't have that, <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. You can have superpowers and you can have laser eyes and you can have this and you can have that, but no, no, you can't have mind control. That's not, that's not real, you know? So, uh, <laughs> that's the only issue I, I kind of have. Uh, with it, but uh, but you know, and and so we're going to have to see, I guess, as the the season progresses, see what happens with Kilgrave to see if this is just an inconsistency in the writing, or if there there really is, you know, if he's being truthful about the fact that he's got to be so careful. Like I said, we talked earlier about, you know, he, I once told a man to go screw himself. And him saying he's got to be so careful with his words, kind of like when he said, uh, say, hi, Hank. And, and Hank just goes, hi, Hank. He's like, oh, I forget sometimes that I shouldn't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, OK, so you can't, you know, you can't just turn it on and off. No. Um, so, you know, but it would be so I, I'd like to know if it's true that he can't just turn it on and off. Uh, and, and if and so that that gives us uh, gives me a little bit of sympathy for him but at the same time he's still using it for nefarious reasons and dark stuff so yeah yeah exactly he can't think before he speaks yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what was your number 1 my number 1 Jessica coming back she comes back and i as you said earlier the cook the, the i guess the maid uh yeah. they're told to keep their eyes open and peeled because uh, if she didn't come back within x amount of time they were to peel their skin off their well, flesh yeah no and it wasn't even that here's the problem i have with that scene and and i hate to interrupt you but i'm going to Good. <laughs> um uh the problem i have with that scene is is uh well she came back after before with the 2 hours thing to call their skin off that was when they went 
to do the domestic uh, the hostage situation. So yeah. they so they came back from that, and then she leaves again, and and she and she says, "I have to take a walk. I'm just going to go." And and he and she says, "You're just going to trust me that I'm going to come back." And then the next scene we see is we see the cook and the maid, you know, and their eyes are wide open. And they're staring outside and they're saying, uh, you know, can we blink? Can just let us blink for one second? And <laughs> Kilgrave's like, no, you can't blink because I don't want you to miss her if she comes. And I wanted to go, I, I understand that his power, he's powerful, but that's a biological imperative. Like, I, the, you can't not, not blink. blink. <laughs> you know, like, you just, there, there's no way their muscles wouldn't, after a certain amount of time, their eyes would dry out. And yeah, yeah. They, that, you know, We've seen this before in uh, A Clockwork Orange with the eye yeah. speculums. You know, he's yeah. like there and his his eyes are tearing, but yeah. his eyes are like clamped open. Yeah, and, and so and so that was the only problem I had with that. There, there was a few things in these these episodes that I had problems with, and that was one of them. Is I understand, but at the same time, I want to go. Eh, I just can't see that working. You know, yeah. with them. Um, you know, unless there's a way for the human body to tell their for their brain to tell their eyelids not to blink. I don't know. It yeah. just seemed that that just took me out of it a little bit. Them and that they were so creepy the way they, their eyes were, were, it almost looked they were being held open and they they had this almost a glassy expression, uh, across the front of their, their uh, face. Their, yeah. Their pupils. yeah. And so, uh, that just kind of took me out of it a little bit with that whole, yeah. that whole scene. Um, but uh, but yeah, so she comes she comes back after talking to Trish. Uh, go ahead, and you can finish now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she comes back and she brings Chinese food, which apparently she mentions that he likes. And mm-hmm. and then throughout the dinner, you know, she eats his Chinese food that she puts out for him, saying hey, fentanyl. You know, you can't ingest. Can't it. be ingested, right? Can't be ingested, right? But, so she takes some food. Yeah. And then next thing you know, the the cleaning lady and the chef fall down. And then yeah. she comes back with, you know, the, with the fentanyl and, and sticks him in the net. Yeah, so it's it, what it looked like to me is is she she used the she used the some sort of something in the in the food to knock out the 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 cook and, and the maid and that was enough of a distraction for Kilgrave. And and well, I guess it knocked out the security guy as well. Yeah. Well, or or he was outside maybe because yes. he's outside when they go. So he was outside. He wasn't in the in the house. Um. And that's enough of uh, a distraction that she's able to grab him and jab him in the the neck with the remaining uh, fentanyl, or or she went and got more fentanyl. Maybe I don't know. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And then that leads to the ending with uh, Simpson coming out as she's carrying Kilgrave. And see, you know, him wanting to kill Kilgrave still, and she telling him no, he has to be brought to justice. She jumps off, and then Simpson <laughs> is there standing with the other two guys from his crew, and the neighbor who we don't like <laughs> casually yeah. comes walking over. Kilgrave hit, told me to hand this to you. Yeah. As soon as I saw that bag in her hand, I was like, she's got the bomb. <laughs> like, yeah, like as, as soon as I saw it. Uh, <laughs> and then, well, and, and I had to, I backed it up both times because I, I wanted to, to make sure I, I saw. And what she does is she's got that bag in her hand and he looks in and he sees the bomb. And as you watch the scene, you can see her hand, her other hand coming up with the cell phone. Yep. That, that activates the bomb 
Uh, and so we get that last shot of Simpson laying on the pavement and he's all bloody and he's not moving. And uh, the assumption is that he's dead. I'm not sure if he got far enough away from it. Maybe uh, I guess we'll find out in the next episode. But yeah, uh, she, he had shards of glass inside him, too. Yeah. Yeah. He was he looked messed up. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I only had the only real quote that I that I pulled out of it was uh, uh, was when there he's talking about the guy and he wants to uh, the hostage taker and he says the man's clearly insane he'll never be a productive member of society uh, to to Jessica and then he says something about he'll never pay taxes or something like that uh, or he'll never yeah he's not be a productive member of society he won't be able to provide he won't be able to pay taxes and she's like you don't pay taxes anyway so <laughs> like it, like saying you're pathetic too you're you're, you know, you're not a productive member of society either, Kilgrave. Uh, so I thought that was kind of a funny, uh, a funny throwaway line. Yeah, uh, the one I had was Kilgrave saying, "I told you to take care of her, not punch her to death." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> him implying you chose that, you mm-hmm. decided that, you made that choice. Uh, that that was so intense. Yeah, yeah. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add from these uh, from was- this episode? Uh, well, pretty much. Uh, I think it was great. Uh, it showed a very in-depth look of Kilgrave's desire for mm-hmm. Jessica. Him saying he won't use his powers on her, uh, but he did use it on others. Yeah. And yeah, you know, that that was kind of his manipulation because it was kind of a vague statement. Ah, I won't use my powers, mm-hmm. but he didn't state it on her. Yeah, he stated yeah. it just you know, uh, I'll I'll I won't use it. In his mind, I won't use it on you. I'll use it on others to do what I need to to keep you. Yeah, so, yeah. It was weird. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I, I, it was a really great episode. There was a lot of lot of stuff in there. Um, the only the only thing that I'll add is is I did hold back. I did resist the temptation to <laughs> uh, to watch the next episode because I really wanted to see. You know, is he alive? Is he dead? Is he in the in the hospital? Are we going to get to see him again? Is Trish going to find out what he did? I mean, I had all these questions, but uh, I'll probably watch it as soon as we get done uh, podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to uh, jump ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, let's see. What else do we have? We've got some comic talk. Um, I went and saw uh, Deadpool 2 last week. It awesome. was amazing. I loved it. It was great. I'm, uh, I, I think I commented on the, the, the Zedhead page. That, uh, uh, I'm not quite yet up there with others we, being willing to say it's, it's better than the first one. Um, but uh, it was it was darn close. Uh, it was it was really good. And uh, I also finished the first three episodes of uh, the episodes issues of uh, Oblivion Song. Uh, have you had a chance to read those yet? I'm gonna be sitting down with my comic books on Monday on Memorial Day. That's my okay. day. I'm gonna okay. be sitting there going through my back catalog, including Free Comic Book Day, and going through all the comics that I got. So yeah. I'm gonna be sitting for a good like two to three hours. Just reading those <laughs> with some music, and then eventually jamming out on my guitar a little bit. <laughs> nice, yeah. I've got to, I've got to read. I've got uh, four issues of Deadpool, Despicable Deadpool to read, uh, and I picked up. Uh, they started a new Marvel started a new variant uh, Venom uh, for Venom. Yes, and uh, they had three copies of the uh, variant covers of the issue number one. I went ahead and picked up all three of those, so I have. I'm going to read one of those uh, this weekend. So yeah, this is my weekend to try to catch up on. Some of the comic books. Plus, I've got the trade paperbacks for the the 2017 Moon Knight. 
All right, uh, cool. Uh, I saw what I know. You said you you saw you said in here that you saw the Cloak and Dagger commercial. I don't think I've seen that yet. Yeah, they've been advertising it on ABC, and uh, I didn't catch where they're actually releasing it. I don't okay. know if it's on a a regular network, but awesome. Um, they're younger, because uh, I always saw Cloak mm-hmm. in the actual comics as an older man, an older right. African-American man, and then you had a younger uh, white female mm-hmm. with white, you know, white hair and everything. Mm-hmm. This seems to be, like, more of a younger stage, and it's yeah. very, very interesting. I really want to see this. It, now, it really I don't, got me. I don't remember the characters. I, re- I remember the characters from the comics, but I don't remember. What, what, did he have the power... To to teleport, he had to teleport through the, like the dark dimension. Yes. Or did he pull things? Okay, so he teleported, and then she could like pull things out of the dark dimension or something like that. Or yeah, what was into the... the light. Okay, okay, yeah. It, it was a really cool. I remember the concept being really cool, and I didn't didn't keep up directly uh, with it, but uh, um... it was just. Uh, I was a kid at the time. I was thirteen. Uh, just jumping into it, and I was a Hanley kid from Jim Hanley's universe. Okay. So the, up by me uh, when I was living in Staten Island, and at the time you had Spider-Man with the black costume, just after mm-hmm. Secret Wars, and they had the web of right. Spider-Man. Cloak and Dagger came out. Another dark a Marvel comic came out, forgetting the name. But Marvel was starting at that time coming up with some different gothic, almost gothic kind of characters mm-hmm. just to bring out. And it kind of, uh, when I looked at Cloak and Dagger, it was more of almost like a New Mutants kind of segue. And it looked really good. Oh, it's going to be on Freeform. Oh, really? It's a, it's a streaming service. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, what this says. Cloak and Dagger coming 2018 Freeform. Awesome. Interesting. Okay. So is it is it animated? Is it going to be an animated? No, thing, no. Is it a live? It, it's, it's live, live action? action. Okay. The 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 IMDb picture just had a had an animated kind of look to it. I'll to submit feedback or your theories or anything that that uh, you want to talk about as far as it comes comes down to comics or uh, Jessica Jones or the Punisher. Uh, you can do that at uh, face our Facebook page, which is uh, www.facebook.com slash panels to pixels, and that's Two spelled out T O. You can email us at panels to pixels one at gmail.com. Again, that's panels to pixels one. The T O is spelled out, and then one is just the number one at gmail.com. And uh, I haven't, uh, I, I tried to access that email, and, and you might need to send me a separate link or something with a password to that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I to will. that email so that I. But if we're not getting an email, it's not like it's a big deal. <laughs> I, I checked earlier today. There was nothing. Okay. Okay. So, uh, where else can listeners hear us? Uh, I'm a co-host on another podcast. Uh, I'm on the Walking Dead talk through with Brian Malosh, and we could be found on Golden Spiral Media. And uh, I submit a lot of unread feedback to podcasts, and uh, some occasionally gets read. Um, and then I send voicemails out as as well. Uh, and then, of course, I'm here on Panels to Pixels. So that would mean, hey, anybody out there that has a podcast, Steve is more than willing to jump on as a friend and hang out and talk hey. and co-host. He will. Uh, honestly, dude, you, you're really good at it. Thanks, so, man. I love it. I love it. I love doing it. So, yeah, I always recommend that, even on the Next Level Podcast Network, uh, if any of you guys are listening. 
uh, Steve will be uh, willing to do that if you're if you're interested. That includes Ben and all the other guys. So uh, we love our network, and uh, we also endorse the idea of actually going out there and listening to the other podcasts on this network. Check out check out Ben Beck on uh, the Showcast. That's another next level radio podcast, the Showcast with Ben Beck. He's got a great interview with uh, Dana De Lorenzo from Ash vs. Evil Dead, and he gets to interview a lot of really cool people. I'm just looking through here, and he uh, has an interview with Tiffany Haddish, uh, who is a, a wonderful, wonderful comedian lady. But uh, check that out. Check out the Showcast with Ben Beck. Yeah, and also check out Ben's other uh, podcast, DC Primetime. They like to talk about The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, and Arrow. And they love all those shows. They're very, very in-depth on those. So I, I always recommend everybody to go check those out. I still listen to Ben when he talks about mid-season, and they have all the shows going on, and they go through every episode. So choose your hero, sidekick, what have you. Send feedback to them. Be a fan of that. Hopefully you're a fan of us. And you'll send some feedback here. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, thanks everybody for listening. And I am Mark. And I'm Steve. And this was Panels to Pixels. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.